important to release the JFK assassination records now. The great debate on the 50th anniversary of the assassination of President Kennedy is not between conspiracy theorists and lone nutters, as expected. It is over the release of the remaining still-secret records that the government refuses to open to the public. While all of the withheld records are scheduled to be released in 2017, the CIA and other agencies are expected to ask the president to continue to withhold them, possibly forever, or at least in our lifetime, and the president is expected to comply unless he is convinced to release them now. Well, so opens the uh, article that is currently on jfkcountercoup.blogspot.com. It's called Why It's Important to Release the JFK Assassination Records Now. We're going to be talking about this issue, the records of the JFK assassination that are still being held secret from the public 49 years after the event in question, the assassination of John F. Kennedy in Dallas, Texas, November 22nd, 1963. And joining us to talk about this issue tonight is the proprietor of the JFK Counter Coup blog, Bill Kelly. So as I understand, Bill is on the line. Bill, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hey, thank you, James, for having me on. Well, it's great to have you here to discuss this uh, extremely important topic, and I trust it's a topic that we won't have to uh, explain to the listeners out there why it is so important, but perhaps we can tease out some of the history of this and uh, and what's really going on behind the scenes. But before we do that, we only have a couple of minutes here in this first segment, so let's hear a little bit about yourself, your background, and your blog. Well, I started uh, uh, researching the assassination in the early 70s when... Um I read a book called uh, Legacy of Doubt by Peter Noyes, in which he found out that a, a, a gentleman who was arrested at Dewey Plaza as a suspicious person, Jim Braden, was also arrested in Camden, New Jersey, uh, years earlier for a, a organized crime gambling operation. And he said that he couldn't get the... Uh, Noyes said he couldn't get the records from the Camden Police Department about this arrest, and they were corrupted by the mob. And my father was a Camden policeman, so I asked him for the, if he could get the record for me. And he said that they, uh, they had it down the basement, and the reason why they didn't get the record for Peter Noyes was because it was uh, in the dusty, dirty part of the basement of the Camden Police Department, and the secretaries didn't want to get their hands dirty. So he gave me the file, and when I heard that the uh, House Select Committee on Assassinations was established, uh, the first chief counsel was Richard Sprague from Philadelphia, so uh, he mentioned, uh, Sprague mentioned Peter Noyes' book uh, and the Braiding file as an important lead. So I took the Camden arrest report over to Richard Sprague's office and gave it to him so he could have it for his investigation in the Congress. And um, uh, years later, uh, Sprague was fired from this committee because he was trying to really investigate the assassination. And he was replaced by G. Robert Blakely, an uh, organized crime attorney from Cornell, and after Blakely completed the investigation for the, the Congress, he uh, locked the records away for 50 years as uh, House congressional records that are not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. So uh, uh, after he did that, uh, he, he started to write a book about the assassination saying the mob killed Kennedy. And he called me on the phone and he asked me about the Camden arrest report that I had acquired from my father. And uh, I told him that I gave it to Sprague. And uh, he told me that Sprague did not turn over his records to him when he took, took over the committee. And uh, therefore, um, he never saw them. And I said, well, I was glad he didn't because he 
Blakely locked the records away for 50 years. So I said if he, you know, he gave them to you, they'd be locked away right now. But, you know, I gave Blakely a copy of the records that he asked for. And um, he wrote a book about it and mentioned Jim Braden in his book. Hmm. But uh, it took us a long time to release those records. It took us, uh, uh, the records were locked away in 1978, and we didn't get them released uh, until the JFK Act was passed in 1992. Incredible story. Well, we'll have to take a break. We're coming up against a break, but uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan. And tonight we're joined on the line from the United States by Bill Kelly, whose blog is jfkcountercoup.blogspot.com. Of course, I will put the link in the show notes for tonight's episode so you can follow it and take a look at the uh, the many different articles that are there. Tonight we're concentrating on the issue of the JFK assassination records that are still being held back from the public many, many, many decades after the fact. So we're just talking about Bill Kelly's experiences and some of the records that, uh, that he had in his possession and how they did not get into the record. Uh, Bill, let's let's pick up with that story. Yeah, I um, in 1992, uh, the uh, we had been working trying to get the records released since 1978 uh, when they locked them away, the House Select Committee records. So uh, we were we were. Uh, uh, unable to get any interest at all in Congress to, to do this until Oliver Stone came out with his movie JFK and uh, we met with him uh, I met with him after his speech at the National Press Club before the movie was was released and he asked us how he could uh, help us uh, release the files and we told him that uh, at the end of the movie if he could put a little rider just saying that the files were still locked away that would notify all the people that saw his movie that these records were locked away. So he did that, um, and it inspired a lot of people to contact their congressmen, and they, they uh, everybody uh, uh, got up in arms, and, and, and for some for some reason, uh, uh, the movie hit a nerve, and um, and, and it, it stimulated people to. to to write letters and to contact, call the congressman, and, and they wanted to know why these records were still locked away. So what we had been doing for 20 years or 15 years, uh, all of a sudden picked up momentum and public support. And uh, Congressman Stokes from Ohio, he um, he uh, uh, started the uh, release of, he, he issued a bill in the House, and uh, Congressman Glenn, John Glenn from Ohio, uh, put a similar bill in the Senate to not only release the records of the House Select Committee on Assassinations that we had requested they release, but they ordered the they they wrote the JFK Act to release all government records related related to the assassination. They said, "Well, if we're going to release the congressional records, we got to release all of them." So uh, we got a lot more than we bargained for. We were asking for, um, and the the JFK Act passed the House. Uh, unanimously, and it passed the Senate. And uh, in 1992, President Bush was in power, and he very reluctantly signed it. He uh, he didn't want to sign it, just like LBJ did not want to sign the uh, Freedom of Information Act. He uh, he sort of was uh, up against the wall. He he had to do it. The Congress unanimously passed it because they had enough votes to override any veto that he would issue. So instead of making it an issue. Uh, President Bush 
signed the uh, JFK Act and made it a law. And the JFK Act, in a sense, uh, ordered the government, every government agency to release all their records related to the assassination to the archives, and the archives were to release them to the public. And they established a special collection there in the archives called the JFK Assassination Records Collection. And uh, all of the records were supposed to be funneled to this uh, collection and eventually released to the public uh, by uh, 2017. Most of them were released immediately. A lot of them have uh, been released so far. They say some 4 million pages of documents have been released, one of the largest uh, groups of records ever released to the public. Um, but there's still, they say there's 1% of the records are still being withheld. And uh, it, it turns out that it, it's 50,000 pages and it's like uh, uh, 1,200 documents that are still being withheld. And um, and they're supposed to be withheld until 2017, but at the request of the CIA, they can be uh, withheld by the president uh, forever or uh, at least in our lifetime, and uh, they can just delay it as long as they want. So uh, we've been pushing uh, the idea of releasing them early, and the uh, National Archives established a special project under the order of President Bush to release a backlog of government records by 2013, which is the 50th anniversary of the assassination. And the uh, National Archives uh, uh, assistant director a year ago said that he would include the JFK assassination records in that uh, uh, new directive and release them on the 50th anniversary of the assassination because of the intense public interest in the issue. But more recently, he, uh, as the assistant archivist, he was uh, he retired and uh, he was overruled recently by the head uh, the, the head of the archives, Mr. Ferraro, and uh, President Obama's information czar named Cass Sunstein. He's in charge of all information policy at the White House. They uh, they decided in consultation with the CIA not to include the JFK assassination records among the records to be reviewed for the 2013 anniversary. So uh, people were up in arms about that, again, just as they were at the time of the uh, JFK movie. So, so just to clarify, saying, was there know, any official explanation given as to why these records wouldn't be released after having been promised? Yes, the, the CIA said they don't have the uh, uh, technical wherewithal in order to release these records uh, in such an advanced uh, state by 2013. They're scheduled to be released on 2017. And they say that they're on target to release them then, but uh, in, in 2006, the CIA released uh, uh, 30,000 documents that they were supposed to be released in 2010. So they accelerated the release of 20,000 documents by four years, years ago. So they do have the technical wherewithal to, to do this, and their excuse for not doing it is doesn't hold water. The reason why they also say they don't want to release them is for reasons of national security. They say that the, uh, these assassination records that are still being withheld um, are, uh, 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 will be a danger to our national security if they are released to the public. 
the infamous threat to national security, indeed, 50 years after the fact. Well, it, it is quite a story, and uh, and I think that paints the broad picture of it. But let's let's get into some of the details of this. I mean, for example, you indicate that there are some 50,000 pages of documents to be released. Do we have any indication as to what those documents might contain or might be about? Do we have any titles of those documents or, or indications of their general subject matter? Yes, um, um, uh, we do. We have the names of some of them, uh, the names of, uh, of the files. Um, we know that where they're from. That the CIA has the uh, largest uh, grouping of records that they're still withheld, but still being withheld. But there's other other agencies like the National Security Agency and the Department of Defense, and the uh, there's there's other uh, agencies and departments that are also uh, the Secret Service, especially. Uh, has been disruptive about uh, releasing records. In fact, uh, after the JFK Act was passed in uh, October 26, 1992, the, C- uh, the Secret Service destroyed uh, two boxes of records that they just decided they didn't want us to be included into the records. And um, uh, we, the Assassination Records Review Board, which was established by the JFK Act to review these records, they got really upset of the fact that they were these records were being destroyed as and it was a, it's actually a crime to destroy these records now after the JFK Act and uh, despite the fact that it's a crime no one's ever been investigated or prosecuted for destroying these records but uh, even though these records are destroyed we have the names of the files and we know what they were uh, in reference to well, many of them had to do with the Secret Service. Uh, uh, preliminary reports on JFK's visit to Chicago and Tampa, Florida, and Miami a few days before he was assassinated. So um, we know what they were about. And in fact, just um, uh, the other day I received an email from the National Archives saying that because I had notified them that a Secret Service agent, Gerald Blaine, in his book, The Kennedy Detail, he brags about the fact that, that the records that were said to be destroyed he had copies of that he maintained in, under his bed in a box in his closet for all these years. So the archives, at uh, my suggestion, contacted him, and he turned over those records. So now the records that they say they had destroyed, uh, are, we have copies of some of them, not all of them, but we do have, uh, we've salvaged some of them be, through the, uh, the efforts of Secret Service Agent Blaine for saving the, his, his records. We, we will see some of the records that they say were destroyed, but in fact, we now have copies of. That's but right, and, and just for the listeners out there, I just want to point out that's documented on your website in an article called Secret Service Records Previously Thought Destroyed Turned Over to NARA, and they can read all about that and uh, and how that information came from the Kennedy detail, Gerald Blaine's book, uh, where he did just uh, sort of admit that fact, and, and it was a good thing that you picked up on that and were able to bring it to their attention. Yeah, and the movie, I mean, uh, the book, The Kennedy Detail by Gerald Blaine that this uh, started from is going to be made into a major motion picture that will be coming out next year, uh, 50 years after the assassination. So uh, we're not through with this yet. Uh, uh, we're going to hear more about it down the line because if they make it a major motion picture as they're threatening to do, it should uh, it should be a big thing. 
Well, exactly right. And it, and I think what that points to is not only the Kennedy detail, but of course a number of other um, movie and, and TV movie projects are being scheduled in the run-up to the 50th anniversary. So I think just as you indicated there with the Oliver Stone movie and the incredible momentum that that created for the JFK Act, I think we're likely to see something similar uh, in the run-up to the 50th anniversary. And I guess it's a question of whether uh, the public can be well enough informed to sort of strike while the iron is hot on this issue and be able to hopefully press the authorities to to get some of their to put some pressure on them to get some of this information released but on that note we are coming up against another break so we'll have to take a a short breather but we'll be right back once again talking to bill kelly of jfkcountercoup.blogspot.com i will once again direct you all there for a much more uh, detail on this issue but we'll be back with more right after these messages Once again, talking to Bill Kelly of jfkcountercoup.blogspot.com and talking about the release of the JFK assassination records that has been promised in one form or another by 2013 for the 50th anniversary of the JFK assassination. But uh, it's looking like that may or may not be a possibility considering how much the public actually puts pressure to bear on the issue. And just before the break, we were talking about some of the uh, the publications and some of the videos and and, uh, movie projects that are coming up to coincide with that 50th anniversary, including the Kennedy detail, the the uh, film account of Gerald Blaine's Secret Service agent's uh, account of his experiences working the Kennedy detail as a Secret Service agent. But uh, on that note, uh, you were just about to make a point before we were so rudely cut off by the break. So, uh, Bill, go ahead. Yeah, I think it's important that the public get involved in this because we need public support in order to convince the archives to release the records and include them among the uh, accelerated release of the records that need to be declassified. Certainly there isn't another issue more important than the assassination of the president uh, that should be declassified. Uh, And also we need Congress to do their part uh, in overseeing the JFK Act. Since they passed it in 1992, there's only been one hearing that was 15 years ago, to oversee the act. And since then, we've come across uh, uh, examples of of agencies destroying records intentionally, of records suddenly disappearing, are now missing, and uh, and records being wrongfully withheld. And yet Congress has not overseen their, uh, they have not exercised their oversight responsibility to see that this act is properly enforced. And they're not going to do it unless the people demand that they do it, just as the people demanded that they released the records after the JFK movie came out. We now need that same force to come back and convince the congressman to oversee the JFK Act and to convince the uh, the administration to release these records as part of the uh, declassification effort for 2013. Right. Well, well, not to be not to be too pessimistic, perhaps just realistic, but doesn't that go to indicate that just like with the JFK Act, when public pressure is brought to bear on an issue, it can have political results, but those results are as only only as good as the follow-up that is uh, received after the fact, because if people just take that as a victory, like they did with the JFK Act, then all Congress has to do is not enforce their own laws and rules and follow up uh, with the, the regulations, and it just falls between the cracks again. Absolutely, uh, the the, uh, the people have got to understand uh, that the uh, they say that there's only one percent of the records are still being withheld, but that one percent is uh, fifty thousand documents, uh, and that's a lot of records, and they're the most important ones. They're so, the just ones to clarify, really did you say fifty thousand documents or fifty thousand pages of documents? No, fifty thousand documents are, are uh, the CIA has uh, has uh, eleven hundred 
documents that they have already turned over to the archives. Uh, we don't, they don't even know how many pages they are. They haven't counted them. They have 1,100 documents, but they say they don't know how many pages they are because they haven't counted them. And, uh, and they're not going to bother counting them until they are forced to. Uh, but other agencies, uh, that, that's only the CIA is 1,100 records that we know about. Uh, there's other, uh, there's other records that are, like, for instance, the CIA records that Jefferson Morley is trying to release were not even included among the JFK records, even though that, um, uh, they're, they're part of the DRE records, and, um, and they were not included among the JFK records because they were not thought to be relevant. And, um, Oswald, the person they accuse of killing the president, he uh, tried to infiltrate the DRE, and he got in a fistfight with some of the members on the streets of New Orleans. So how can the CIA say that these records are not deemed relevant when the person they say killed the president got in a fight with these same people? You know, they, they, they did not include these records among the JFK Assassination Act records because they consider them not deemed relevant. So Jefferson Worley said, okay, um, he filed a Freedom of Information Act suit to get these records over a decade ago, like, 12 or 15 years ago, and the CIA has been spend, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions in court plus to prevent these records from being released. So there's, there's a reason why they don't want these records released, and, and the reason is that uh, it'll change the people's perspective of the, uh, the assassination, of their perspective of the government, and uh, of whether or not the Constitution has been adhered to. So these records are really important, and... Uh, it's hard to believe that, um, uh, that the people will accept the fact that uh, the records are released, and when in fact they're not. And, um, and it's important to get the public support to uh, do what they did in 1992, and that is to support the effort to release these records now. So is the implication that being that if this is not done by 2013, as had been promised with, with Obama's uh, transparency uh, pledge when he came into office, that these will be just released in 2017, so it will happen eventually, or is the implication that uh, that, that date will well, be extended Obama again? Said, well, Obama has said that all records will eventually be released, and the JFK uh, uh, CIA records are scheduled to be released on 2017, but as I said, uh, we asked them how many pages they are, and they said they haven't counted them, and nor do they intend to count them until they need to be counted. And uh, and they also have the uh, uh, the ability to request the president to keep these released these records uh, from being released at 2017. So when 2017 comes around, they're going to say, "Well, we haven't reviewed them yet. We haven't counted them, and and we've also had the uh, president." Re- uh, We've requested the president that he not release them um, because uh, of reasons of national security. So um, whether it's Obama in the office and president or whoever is in pre- uh, the president in 2017, uh, we can't depend on him to, to release the record. Uh, we want them released now as, as Congress intended uh, when they passed the JFK Act. Exactly right. Well, unfortunately, that is the case, and we have to keep the pressure to bear. But let's take another short break. Welcome back to the program, friends. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on RepublicBroadcasting.org. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And once again, we are talking to Bill Kelly of JFKCounterCoup.blogspot.com. So I will once again direct you there for more information on tonight's topic of the JFK assassination records. 
And it is certainly a topic that strikes a chord with a number of people out there, and the self-evident absurdity of keeping some of these records back for 49 years now uh, is obviously not justified for any reason other than covering up something that happened, and of course it's difficult to know what that is without those records, so I think that's the heart of the issue. Uh, if you'd like to get in on tonight's uh, conversation, you can join us at 1-800-313-9443, that's 1-800-313-9443. But Bill Kelly, let's, let's turn back to this conversation and let's start to get a map of the landscape of what we're dealing with here, because it seems like we've already talked about a number of the agencies that are involved from the NARA to the CIA to the Secret Service to the House Select Committee on Assassinations, etc., etc. What are some of the, uh, where are the disparate places that these documents located, and what is the central body that's organizing their release? Well, the archives uh, established, they built a whole new, uh, whole new building they call Archives 2 in College Park, Maryland. That is the house uh, where they house the, uh, JFK assassination records, among other uh, uh, records. They're not in the main archives building in downtown Washington. But um, all the agencies of government were instructed by the JFK Act to turn their records over to the Assassination Records Review Board. And then the uh, review board would review them for uh, whether to decide whether or not they should be uh, released or not, and then turn them over to the archives, and the archives would release them and then after two years, uh, two and a half years, the review board went out of business. They dissolved and are no longer in existence. And all the agencies of government knew that this review board was only a temporary operation. So the ones that they, they had records they didn't want to turn over, they just procrastinated until the point where the review board went out of business and they never turned over the records that they didn't want to. Uh, but now the archives is responsible for obtaining those records as they did with Agent Blaine and his records. But um, uh, the CIA, for instance, turned over all of their records that fell under the category of the JFK Act to the archives, and they're sitting in the archives in a sealed vault now, but they haven't ever been even looked at. They, they have never been looked at or reviewed. They haven't even counted the pages, and when we asked them how many, how many pages there are, they just said that they don't know and they're not going to find out for us. They're not going to answer that question until they have to. And um, it just seems that most of the agencies took that attitude, uh, the same attitude the Secret Service had, the White House Communication Agency. Uh, they all had a, a, they, they didn't want to, they weren't used to turning records over to the public, and they were very much against doing so, and they procrastinated, and they, they, they just didn't do it. And, uh, and Congress refused to... Um, oversee the, the act, so there was no enforcement of it, and even though it was a crime to, uh, to destroy the records, no one prosecuted those or investigated even those who did the destruction, and uh, no one investigated the the records that were wrongfully withheld, or the ones that are missing. A lot of them, uh, rather than turn over the records to the archives uh, for eventual release, the Office of Naval Intelligence just told the uh, review board that they can't find the uh, records for the director of Office of Naval Intelligence, Rufus Taylor. His records were uh, ordered released by the review board, and the Navy came back and said, we can't find them. They, they claim they have lost the entire office files of the director of Naval Intelligence from 1959 to 1964. Now, 
I don't believe that. I believe they know exactly where they are, and they just didn't want to turn them over. If, 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 there was a, if they were really missing, there would be a major investigation just to make sure the Russians didn't get them, to make sure the Chinese didn't get the records of the Office of Naval Intelligence, or to make sure WikiLeaks didn't get them. But instead, there's nothing. There's no investigation. They just accepted the fact that they claim that they don't know where they are. And if you believe they lost the records of the uh, Office of Naval Intelligence director's files, uh, then I have you, a you know, uh, bridge to sell you in uh, Timbuktu. Exactly, yeah, the, exactly, exactly the point. A- I mean, it is it is so ridiculous, so ludicrous on its face, especially when there's all of this brouhaha about all of these WikiLeaks and things like this. Of course, the idea that these important intelligence files just went missing is on its face ludicrous. But but let me express the cynical side of this argument. Then I, I certainly do agree that it is important that the public become aware of this issue and press on this issue. If for no other reason than it draws attention to these types of facts. But ultimately, what does it say about a system like this where we have to basically rely on the good faith of the agencies involved that they are A, telling us about the records they have and B, releasing them or, you know, trying not to get them released as the case may be? Ultimately, doesn't this put all of the power in the hands of the people who presumably would be involved in the cover-up in the first place? Well, uh, I don't believe that uh, uh, people in the, the people that killed Kennedy are alive today. I think most of those people that are responsible for the the assassination are probably dead. But at the same time, there's a reason why the government refuses to release these records to us, and they say the reason is national security, but um, uh, the actual reason is embarrassment. These agencies don't want to be embarrassed. They get big budgets, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars a year from the U.S. government, and the Secret Service has been tremendously embarrassed over the past year uh, because of the scandals. And this would be only on top of it. This, uh, the fact that they destroyed the assassination records and they that they were negligent in the assassin uh, uh, in Dallas, and they had partied in Dallas uh, in Fort Worth the night before the assassination, and uh, that they're still doing it today it just shows you that uh, it's a culture of, of uh, malfeasance within the within the Secret Service itself. So they don't want to release the records that they have because it supports that idea that they were negligent in the assassination, but. Well, let's stop there for a second, because it is an important topic for a lot of people out there, whether it's malfeasance or misfeasance, whether there was just a cover-up of negligence or a cover-up of something else. And obviously, that's something we can't determine without those documents themselves. But but, uh, it seems to me to indicate the the point that you're making, that the people who are involved in this in whatever form are obviously either dead or long out of the picture by now, would seem to indicate that the type of cover-up that we see going on now with the records would be more of an indication of misfeasance or something more to the point. Because uh, if the people are long out of office, then there would be no point in, in, in saying, oh, well, they were negligent 50 years ago. I mean, it wouldn't be a big deal. Right. Well, it's a bureaucracy. These, these, uh, even though the people that are actually are responsible are dead or are retired, the, the new people that are in the Secret Service today, uh, they don't want to uh, release the embarrassing records that will uh, cut congressional support for their budget or... Uh, every agency uh, is in a survival mode in this economy. They they need as much money as they can, and they and they feel that if they they release negative publicity about their 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 you know their operations, uh, it might affect their budget. And they also they also say it's a matter of national security. Now, if um, if Lee Harvey Oswald was a deranged lone nut, as they contend, uh, then there should be no records related to national security. Everyone should be released, and we should come to the conclusion that he was a crazy nut. But 
but that's not the case. They're withholding records about Oswald because of he, he was an intelligence agent. He was a covert operative. And uh, the records that are being withheld are being withheld for reasons of national security because it uh, impacts uh, the government, because it shows how that they were uh, dire directly involved in the murder and it was a coup d'etat and not just the act of a deranged alone nut. But I like to say that 50 years ago, okay, you couldn't tell the American people that. In fact, in... In 1963, most people didn't know what a covert operation was. It wasn't until Watergate that they came to realize that people were doing these types of black bag covert operations and disguising the, their, what they were doing and trying to hide the people that were backing them. So, but now we know how this works. Uh, the national security excuse uh, says that you'll, you'll release uh, uh, techniques and methods used by the intelligence agencies. Well, we now know how these what these techniques are and these methods are because we've exposed Watergate and we've exposed other assassinations. So that's no longer an excuse. And I think today we can say that it's a matter of national security to release these records. It's no longer a matter of national security to keep them secret. But it's important for our national security to release these records so we know what happened and we can prevent it from ever happening again. Well, that, that is an important point right there and does go to show that the logic is exactly flipped on its head. But uh, it's important also to understand that there's a history to the, the trickle of release of information in this case. And, uh, and for example, the Assassination Records Review Board is something that, that came up relatively recently in this 50-year history that still a lot of people don't understand, they don't know much about, and they don't know that there's been an incredible release of documents since the JFK movie that has really changed our, our understanding of many of the aspects of the assassination case. Perhaps you can talk about the ARRB and what it found. Absolutely. The, uh, the Assassination Record Review Board released uh, like 99% of the records that came before them, and those records were uh, used uh, uh, by journalists and historians for the past 20 years. You can't read a book on modern American history without them crediting the JFK Act for releasing records that they used in the course of writing this, of any book. Every book written about history in the past 20 years credits the JFK Act for releasing the records that they used to document what they were saying about any subject, whether it's about um, the, the Nazis in World War II or the, uh, the, Nas, uh, the, moon, the moon launch, uh, whatever. All these records uh, were used to write about these events uh, were released because of the JFK Act, because the records that were released on the, on the JFK Act uh, incorporated so many other subjects. And uh, I think that... Uh, the records, Peter Dale Scott, and his thesis, he wrote a thesis in which he describes a negative template in which the records that are destroyed and are missing and withheld are the most important ones, and they're the ones we should concentrate on. So they might have released uh, uh, 5 million uh, pages of documents, but they're not the ones that we're concerned about, even though they did tell us a lot. Um, they, they fill in, if we look at Kelly Plaza, what happened there is a, a muse, uh, as a puzzle or a mosaic uh, a picture, we've pretty much filled in almost all the pieces now. There's only three or four missing pieces left that we have to fill in to make it a complete picture of what happened there. But those pieces are the ones that we're trying to pry out of these uh, the government today to fill in uh, the record. And uh, the government's saying, well, we have to move on. We're, we're not going to release them, and we're going to turn the page. But as... Uh, uh, as others have said, uh, you can't turn the page without having read it. You know, uh, you have to read what's, what's on there first, and we, we haven't read those pages that are 
that are still being withheld. So um, uh, I think it's important that the, the documents that are, are being withheld are the ones that we want, and they're the ones that hold the keys of the assassination, and they're the ones that, that, that are they're fighting tooth and nail to, to keep from being released. But in order to get them released, we need the popular support of the American people, and it can't be just a, a couple dozen researchers like it is right now. Well, well, let's flesh that out a little. What are those missing pieces that we're expecting these documents to be able to fill in, and what kinds of questions do we th- are we still waiting the answer for? Okay, uh, for instance, the Air Force One radio tapes. We could do a whole show uh, or two shows on just what the Air Force One radio tapes say and, and what has been written about them. And um, the Air Force One radio tapes, there's two versions of them. One was released in 1979 by the LBJ Library, and that's about two and a half hour, two and a quarter hours long. And then um, it was uh, edited for the public, even though we know that there were five hours or seven hours worth of radio conversations that were taped and recorded. They edited the, the most important parts out. And uh, more recently, when Gen- General Clifton, JFK's military aide, died, his effects were sold to a Philadelphia uh, Collector's Society and uh, the Rob Collector, and they discovered uh, a tape among them of the Air Force One radio transmissions that's longer than the one that they released to the public. So there's more information on this newly released tape so we can find out what was on the tape that they edited out now. So now we have uh, uh, 15 or 20 minutes more than we had before, but we can see why they edited these, these portions out. And we know that there's uh, twice as much tapes actually in existence that they haven't even released yet or aren't even telling us what they said that they, they're missing and they probably are destroyed. But because we found these Clifton tapes, I'm suggesting that they are really there. No one's destroyed these tapes. They're just still withholding them. And they don't want us to know what's there. But if you listen to these the Clifton tapes and compare it to the original tapes they released to the public from the, uh, the LBJ library, you can see what they kept out as they thought was important. For instance, uh, the fact that General LeMay's aide uh, came on the radio and said, I'm trying to get a, gen- a message to General LeMay. And he's on, um, he's on his, uh, uh, in a private plane, uh, leaving, uh, Canada and he's returning to, uh, Andrews Air Force Base and I have an important message for him. But the traffic was so intense between Air Force One and Andrews and other places that they never had time to, uh, to convey the message to LeMay, whatever it was. But we now know where LeMay was because of this tape. We now know that LeMay was in Canada, and he wasn't in Michigan like his biography says he was. And we know that uh, he was on his way back to, uh, to Andrews Air Force Base where he arrived a uh, uh, half hour before Kennedy's body arrived at Andrews. So um, I think that's that's just one example of the important, uh, rec- uh, important facts that we're developing from the new records that are just now being released. Uh, here we are. 49 years later, and we are still getting new information. So, yes, this information is being withheld and being kept secret is important, and it does fill in the blanks that we really have to fill in before we can start arguing over what really happened. Exactly right. And uh, just for people out there who don't really understand Curtis LeMay's importance in this picture, let's tell them why that piece of information is important. Well, General LeMay was the uh, Air Force Chief of Staff uh, on the on the on the army, uh, the military's chief of staff for the Air Force, and uh, he was the arch enemy of uh, Kennedy. 
he um, he was in charge of the Strategic Air Command, and during the Cuban Missile Crisis, he wanted to invade Cuba, and he wanted to also uh, uh, initiate a, a nuclear strike uh, 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 before the Russians attacked us. He wanted to attack them. He wanted to just send uh, a fleet of missiles and planes to Russia to uh, annihilate them. And Kennedy uh, uh, objected to his, his his ideas and his plans, and uh, they hated each other. So uh, there was a lot of speculation over whether or not uh, General LeMay was behind what happened at Dealey Plaza, as there still is. Well, that's right, and uh, any murder investigator knows uh, means, motive, and opportunity are the things that you look for, and uh, and it's very questionable which of those uh, Lee Harvey Oswald would have had, if any, so certainly uh, characters like LeMay and his whereabouts and his movements are important. Also, the fact that that was being covered up, that uh, that the biography, as you say, indicated he was in Michigan and didn't indicate where he was going that day and when he arrived, etc., but now we have it documented on the record in these tapes. So for people who haven't heard the Air Force One tapes, I, I hope that they'll go and check that out. That was just released earlier this year, was that right? Yeah, they found the most recent copy in the Clifton Files earlier this year, and uh, the, the archives obtained it as they should have, and they released it to the public. And you can go online and listen to it. Uh, your, anybody can go online and listen All right, to it. We'll have to take another break. We'll be right back to finish things up. All right, friends, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Once again, we've been talking to Bill Kelly of JFK Countercoup, and that is jfkcountercoup.blogspot.com. So uh, once again, that will be in the show notes for tonight's episode so that you can go and read more about uh, the JFK case in general and the assassination records that are being withheld in particular. Lots and lots of information there. So uh, unfortunately, we are pretty much out of time for tonight. Just a couple of minutes left to wrap things up with Mr. Kelly. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about JFK counter coup in general and the types of information that people can find there. Well, right now, the biggest thing we're doing is we have a petition online at, uh, at change.org. The petition is aimed at uh, the archivist of the United States, Mr. Ferraro, and Cass Sunstein, the information czar at the White House. And every time somebody signs the petition, those people get an email saying that someone signed it, so it's sort of irritating to them. But um, we hope the petition, we have 500 signatures on it so far, and we hope to get 2,000 soon. And we're also taking up a collection to put the petition on a full-page ad in the Washington Post that we have to put in, uh, uh, published in September. And we're gearing up towards October 26th as the date of the 20th anniversary of the JFK Act. And that's the day that we hope to uh, uh, have a concert uh, to free the files. And uh, if uh, they haven't uh, agreed to uh, what we're requesting, we might even have an Occupy the Archives that day uh, protest uh, at the archives in Washington, at the uh, main archives uh, where the big steps uh, uh, are, are conducive to having a protest type of demonstration for freeing the files. So if people want to go online, it's, uh, they can get uh, access to the uh, petition from my website, or the Assassination Archives and Research Center, their website, or maryfarrell.com and the COPA uh, Coalition on Political Assassinations. And we have a Facebook page. All of these uh, websites have uh, access to our petition, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the link, so you can, go on the, uh, you can go on the link and sign our petition there. And we, we really need... Uh, 
to broaden the uh, base of the request from the three or four hundred researchers that have been uh, pushing this for the past couple of years to a more broader audience, uh, the people that just want to open the government and free the files, and, uh, and hopefully we can get them active and, and support our effort. Well, once again, as we've pointed out tonight, with uh, public pressure brought to bear, things can happen, like with the JFK Act, and uh, and it's a question of not letting up once that is passed and making sure that the uh, politicians do follow through with what they've promised. But at the very least, we can get the political momentum behind this type of thing. So I hope people will be checking out JFK Countercoup. And uh, Mr. Kelly, as you said before, we could spend a, a show or two on the Air Force One tapes, so I hope you'll be back on in the future to talk about that. Absolutely. Uh, we can we can actually uh, play some of the tapes over the air, and people can listen to what they're saying, and uh, we can comment on what the, uh, translate what the uh, what the conversations are about because a lot of it is in code. They use they use code words for themselves, and um, and we can actually talk to some of the people that are on the tapes. We've we've located some of them and tracked them down, and uh, it's a fascinating story about the Air Force One radio transmissions. Well, it sounds like a plan to me. Topic. So let's put that in our uh, yeah. in our schedules, and we'll uh, we'll we'll be talking about that. So, so Bill Kelly, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's been a pleasure. And I, I want I also wanted to thank Charles, the uh, the blind researcher, for turning me on to you what you're doing, and uh, he was a big help. Yes, and he is a good friend of this program, so uh, always good to get a word from Chuck as well, Chuck Ocelli. So uh, once again, Bill Kelly, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time, and thank you to all of you out there for listening in. Once again, reminding you that this uh, this radio broadcast is also available as a video podcast a few hours after the transmission airs. It will be up on CorbettReport.com for download and spreading around. Let's make sure that this, uh, this information gets out to as many people as possible, and I need your help and support out there for that. On that note, I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. You have been listening to Corbett Report Radio, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again 23 hours from now. So until, there, until then, thank you for listening and take care.